That was our friend, David, from India. I asked him to record that for me, and uh, he recorded it and figured out how to get it to us in America. And, uh, yeah. We're in Acts chapter 8 this morning. We are um, going to be in Acts for a little while now. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Before we jump into the text, I want to um, talk a little bit about the 4th of July. It's, it's July 4th. It's America's birthday. Happy birthday, America. Um, last night, uh, my, my kids and I had sparklers. Man, I remember being young, and a sparkler was just enough to make you happy. I mean, like, there's like, like $1.50 for a pack of six sparklers. And my kids just ran, ran, they're just the happiest kids in the world, a sparkler in a backyard. That's all they need. Um, so, we had, so we did that a little bit last night. Now, there's a thing called the American dream. So we live in America, and there's a thing called the American dream. It's the American ideal. And the American dream, as written in the Declaration of Independence, is very simply this. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You ever heard that before? Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is the American dream. That's a good dream. I want life. I want safety. And in America, we have safety. We're not in Mexico City. We're not in India. For the most part, we have law and order here in America. We have this joy of safety and living. Liberty, freedom. In America, I can talk trash on the president and no one arrests me. It's great. I can talk smack on the mayor, on the governor, on whatever I want, and I have the freedom to talk my stupid nonsense. That is what it means to be in a free, that's one of the freedoms we have in America. We have the freedom to gather here on Sundays. We have a lot of freedoms in our country. So we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I can chase my dreams, whatever those dreams may be. That's the American dream. Now, something happened to me when I was a young man happens, that happens to a lot of Christians on their walk with Jesus. You see, I moved out of foot when I was 14, and I moved to Waterford, Michigan. I moved to the suburbs. I had never lived in the suburbs before. And I started going to a white church. Great, good church. Loved Jesus, loved me. But I was busting from the bad part of town into the good part of town. And everyone at the church... They had marriages, they had houses, they had money. And I started, I, I made this awful, I thought to myself, these guys all love Jesus, and they have all this cool stuff. If I love Jesus, maybe I'll get that cool stuff too. And what I did is I married the American dream and Christianity. And a lot of people do that. People think, if I come to Jesus, Jesus is going to give me life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, these are all good things. But a lot of Christ followers in America think that if I'm faithful to Jesus, he's going to give me good stuff. He's going to bless me, and it's going to be awesome in this life. As we read the book of Acts, which is a story of the first generation of Christ's followers, the first generation of this thing called the church, we see that Jesus does not guarantee an American dream to anybody. <clears throat> what 
What has happened is this. The church has been born. It's growing in Jerusalem. A man named Stephen preached a sermon and he <laughs> he poked the bear. He talked bad about their nation and talked bad about their temple and they killed him. And there in the crowd as the, as the mob is throwing rocks and killing this young man there's a guy there named Saul. It says he's holding the coats. I'll hold your coats while you kill this young man. This is what happens next. What happens after Stephen is killed for his faithfulness to Christ? 8-1. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. The first thing I want to say to us today is this. Persecution is part of following Christ. This early church in Jerusalem is a good church. See how good they are. There are people in the church who sold their land, took all the money from their land sales, and gave it to the church to minister to the needs of the poor. It says there was no one who had need among them. The widows and the orphans. There's a daily feeding of all the widows in the neighborhood. If you go to the Christian part of town, and if you're a widow, you will have food. If you're an orphan, you will be fed by the Christ followers. They're doing beautiful, good things. I thought to myself for a long time, if I love Jesus and love people the way he loved people, then won't they all like me? If I love Jesus the way Jesus loved people, that's a, that, how could people not like you? But Jesus says to us, in John chapter 15, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. They killed him. For as loving and as kind as Christ was, Jesus Christ is still offensive. If you walk the way of Christ, eventually you are going to not fit the culture you live in. I'll give you a silly example. When I was in high school, I dated a girl. And it was one of my first girlfriends. I'm a you know, young kid. Tee -hee -hee, you know, just a little guy. I'm a teenager, you know, whatever. At church, she wanted to, like, hold hands and play footsie at church. And I was like, you know, cut, cut it out. I'm, I'm listening to the message. Leave me alone, woman. Uh, and she didn't like that. And not only that, even when the message ended, I really, I wanted to do things God's way. So I committed to myself, I am not going to give my body to a woman romantically until I'm married. I was going to wait because I'm going to do things God's way. Well, she found that out and didn't like it because she wanted to get down, I guess. And uh, I'm just saying. And so what does she do? She dumps me. Like, I mean, she dumps me. And you, it broke. I, I was so sad. 
I was like, oh man, she was my girlfriend and she dumped me. And she dumped me because I was doing things God's way. That's going to happen. That's a small example. If we live according to Christ's teaching, listen, Jesus at the end of the day, he tells everyone else they're wrong. He says to the Hindus and the Muslims and the atheists and the Buddhists, he tells them all, you guys are wrong. The, the path you're taking to God is a path of falsehood. That is a controversial, offensive statement. Jesus tells us, <laughs> he tells us who we can kiss and when we can kiss him. And I'm being PG because there's kids, you understand? Jesus tells us how to spend our money. He tells us what we can and cannot love. He gets in our business. If you are with him, eventually the values of Christ are going to crash into the values of the culture and you're going to be the weird one. That's what's going to happen. If you love Christ, eventually you will face persecution. Not every day. Not all the time. And it may not be <laughs> chains or arrest or jail. In America, our persecution is mostly not fitting in. The cool kids don't like us anymore. But for us, that's already too much. We're so soft. We're, if we're like the high school kid in those dumb commercials, we're like, everyone's doing it, be cool, like... I'm cool now, right, everybody? Like, we're, that, we're that kid still. If the, the crowd doesn't have to, like, bully us, we just are afraid of being different, so we just fold. We fold so fast. We talk like the world. We act like the world. We watch what the world watches. And we don't ask any questions about it. Now, some believers, before I go forward further, further, there are two Christians right now listening to this. First, you have the loudmouth Christians who love just judging people and talking smack. They're on social media drawing lines in the sand and condemning whole swaths of people. They're convinced being a Christian means voting a certain way. They're convinced being a Christian means hating all gays and minorities. Just these loudmouth Christians just talking smack all the time. And people don't like them. And they think that's persecution. That's not persecution. If, a loud, if, if someone doesn't like a loudmouth Christian, that's not about Christ. That's about the loudmouth part. They don't like you because you're a jerk, not because you're a Christian. The loudmouth Christian learn, needs to learn to love their neighbor instead of always yelling at them. So the loudmouth Christians watching this, shut up and love people. <laughs> and I'm being silly, but I'm being serious. I'm watching Christians on in social media, they're just saying these heinous, mean, clever, gotcha things. Christianity is not a gotcha religion. If one of my brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, if I see her on social media being crazy, I'm not going to write on, her, on Facebook like, 
Clever takedown. Burn! I'm going to call him and say, you okay? What's going on? This is not what we do. Take the post down. Let's talk about it. So there's the loudmouth Christians who think they're being persecuted, but in reality, they're just mean. But then you have, on the other side, the camouflage Christians. And no one persecutes them because no one knows they're a Christian. They're the deer hunters who are out in the woods wearing full-on camo gear. They got ste- Dude, we do Halloween at my house every year, and uh, Owen, where Owen Combs, what's that thing called that suit he wears? It's a ghillie suit. It's a, it looks like, he looks like a sick bush, and he'll sit by the candy table, and kids come by, and he'll go, he'll move and scare people the whole night. Great camouflage. He looks like a bush. He looks like a big old green. That's what he looks like. He's camouflaged. And some Christians, we are so worldly. We look at the world, we sound like the world, we act like the world, and no one knows we love Jesus. So, of course, no one persecutes us because they don't know we belong to Jesus. We look like everybody else, and that's not the answer either. So, the answer is not be a loudmouth jerk, and it's not put our head in the sand and pretend we're like everybody else because we're not like everybody else. We have been called to a different way of life. And if we follow Christ, eventually people are going to pull away from us. Not all the time, but sometimes. If you walk with Christ, you will inevitably face persecution. The church in Jerusalem, was they did good for so many people, and yet they got chased out of town. Chased out of town for feeding widows and orphans. In India, the largest nonprofit in the nation was World Vision. They fed, or Compassion International. Compassion International operated thousands of schools. They were the largest education nonprofit in the nation. But they were Christians. And the Hindu nation, the new Hindu government, they were like, India first, make India great again. And it's India is for Hindus and Hindus for India. And they kicked compassion out of the nation and closed down all of their schools. Even though compassion was doing beautiful, good things for the children of that nation, the people in power said, you still love Christ, get the crap out of my house. That's going to happen. Persecution is part of following Jesus. I know we all want to think if I follow Christ, that I'll get all the good things. I'll get the house and the, the spouse and the kids and the money, but sometimes all you get is a cross. Sometimes all you get is being the, the weird kid. That happens. And Christ promised it would happen. He, he, told, he warned us. The text goes on. Verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Saul was there 
when Stephen was killed, and they put the coats, and he guarded the coats. And he watched them kill Stephen, and he thought to himself in that moment. He realized that Jesus was not for Israel or for the temple. He realized Jesus was going to shake up his nationalism and his religious bigotry. And he's like, how do I stop Jesus from crushing my nationhood? we got to kill him. So Saul began killing Christians. He's been going door to door, knocking, asking the question, do you follow Jesus? And if you said yes, he took you away to jail. Men and women. I would tell my wife to lie. I'm like, baby, I'll go. You take care of the kids. But she wouldn't because she loves Jesus. She'd be like, I love him too. Oh, shoot. And we're going to jail. And your kids are home alone. You're going to jail. And the people, you think to yourself, someone came to my door and they had armed guards and asked me a question. I'm going to tell what they want to hear out of fear of the sword. And these believers didn't. They, they told the truth, man. So Saul, if I was a believer then, just the kind of person I am, if I saw this happening, I think to myself, how do I help my Christian brothers? I know, let's kill this Saul guy, right? Saul's the guy arresting everybody. Saul's the crazy. And, and Saul, he realized, for him, when Stephen was killed, that was a spark. He realized, I got to burn it all down. I got to stop this Jesus movement to save Israel in the temple. Because Saul cared about his national pride more than the truth of God's son. If it was me living then, I would have had to plan to kill that fool to save my brothers. Because I am an American and I like guns. Just what it is. But I learned something reading this. Our persecutor is not our enemy. Our persecutor is not our enemy. Saul, the Bible says... We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. You think Saul's the bad guy. He's the one doing the arresting, but God has a plan for this guy. And every person who ever persecutes God's church is someone who's in desperate need of Christ's salvation. Even the person hurting us is not our enemy because they can be... We're called not to hate our persecutor, but to pray for them that they may meet Jesus and be transformed by him. Our enemy are not the Muslims or the gays or the liberals. Our enemies are not the Hindus or the communists. Fill in the blank. Whoever you want to put in that blank, those are not our enemies. Those are people Jesus died for. There was a guy, this atheist guy. I read some of his books, and I get so mad reading his books. He's, he's always so mean to Christians. And I'm a Christian. And he calls me stupid. I'm not stupid. So I read his book, I get mad. Angie will tell you, I, get all, I yell at the book. I, yell, I, I used to tell Angie, if I ever met this guy in public, I'm going to punch him in his nose and break his glasses. I said it all the time. I'm going to punch that fool in his nose. I, I don't know the guy. I'm not going to meet the guy, but I said it all the time. Last year I read an article where this smart atheist had a debate with a Christian at a, at a secular college. And it was a brutal, tough debate, right? They're both just making their points back and forth. 
And you'd think in a debate like that, you'd hate your opponent. But the Christian apologist, after the debate, the Christian apologist and the atheist debater went to Applebee's and, and sneaking, had a sneaking, I don't know, whatever you eat Applebee's. Rib tips, I guess, I don't know. They went to Applebee's together and they broke bread. And they became friends. This apologist looked at this atheist and said, I'm not going to hate this guy. I'm going to love this guy because he needs Jesus. This, on Thursday morning, I drove to the east. We have a church plant on the east side. When I leave here, I'm going to the east side to do a food pantry. We have a church plant that Flint City has planted on the east side. It's going incredible, okay? I come in Thursday to the, the east side location where we have the food pantry at. I pull up there. And someone has vandalized the crap out of the building. Broke out a bunch of windows. Um, crashed in the, 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 the windshield of the church van. Just went to war on this building. I pull up and I'm like, oh no. I walk around the building, there's damage everywhere. And not only is there damage, there's blood everywhere too because the guy cut himself and bled all over everything. It was awful. Had to call the police, who never came because we live in Flint. Had to seek and call, had to call the insurance, all that we had to do. It was awful, okay? We're there putting up plywood on the broken windows. I hear someone come up behind me and say, Excuse me, I turn around, there's this guy. No shoes, no shirt. Looks kind of ragged. I'm like, What's up, man? I thought he wanted some money or something. East side's pretty rowdy. I'm like, What's up? He's like, I just want to say I'm sorry, dude. I'm like, For what? He's like, for breaking your windows. And I was like, you did this? He's like, yeah, man, I broke your windows. I'm like, why? I asked him, why? Are you mad at me? Are you mad at the church? He goes, no, man, I don't, I don't even know you. I'm like, I'm like what's because he tells me the story how he was like down at Kroger the night, the, the, in the middle of the night, got jumped, someone took all his money. And he was, he was, he was, he was already drunk, they got jumped, lost his money, walking down the street, mad at God, sees our church and thinks I'm going to punch God in the face. And he punches the church. That's hitting the windows, breaks the window, cuts himself, gets more mad, breaks more windows, and it happens. Now in that moment, I could have been like, you hurt the church, man. You stay here until the cops come. Headlock, suplex, whatever, you know. I could have tore him up. You punch my church, I punch you. Like, I, I, could, I could have done that. I could have put him in a seeking, like, an arm bar held until the cops came. Come on, what? I got him. I could have, I could have, I could have, but you know what I did? I sat down with the guy, and we talked, and he told me his story. He gave me his name and gave me his phone number. And now my wonder is this. What if this man, what if we get to help him meet Jesus? Not our enemy. Do you understand? If some politician in the next 10 years becomes president or governor and he hates the church and hates Jesus, that person is not our enemy. Still not our enemy. You can vote against him, and you should, but not our enemy. We don't assassinate him or her. We don't plot schemes against them. We pray for their soul. Our persecutors are not our enemies. You understand, church? If someone comes against Christ's church with meanness and vitriol, 
We do not answer evil with evil. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. We overcome evil with good. That's who we are. And lastly, this is the hardest part, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. Okay, the Christians are scattered. The church is scattered. It was in one town, and now it's in a hundred towns. And Philip, the deacon, Philip, who was Stephen's good friend, Stephen's dead, Philip's on the run. What does Philip do? doesn't hide. He keeps preaching Jesus. And a church is born in Samaria. What's crazy is this, fulfill, this fulfills the promise of Christ because Christ told the church, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. At first, the church was content to stay in Jerusalem. That's where I live. That's my neighborhood. That's where I live. That's where my job's there. My house is there. I'm going to love Jesus and chill in my town and just love life. And when Saul crushes it, it scatters. And other people start hearing about Jesus. Because here's the hard truth. The church thrives under persecution. The church thrives under persecution. It makes no sense. You think of Saul, this wise, smart attacker, could kill the church, but when he went after the church, he made it stronger. Throughout church history, when people have tried to crush God's people, the opposite has happened. People have seen the faithfulness, the courage, and the hope in the persecuted and said, those guys have something crazy. i got to know what it is. In China, when the communists tried to shut them down and the churches were all forced underground, when the West finally went back to China a generation ago, they thought that they thought, literally, you read books about it, the missionaries thought we're going to go to China, have to restart the work because We've been gone for 40 years. The church was probably destroyed because the communists arrested the pastors, kicked out the missionaries, burned the church buildings down. When the missionaries came back, you know what they found? A church a hundred times larger than what they had left. All underground, led by unpaid, untrained, spirit-filled believers. In the Iron Curtain, when Stalin dropped the bomb on the Russian church and he imprisoned those who would not bend the knee to himself, and the church would die there too. And the church survived. Right now in India, with a pro-Hindu government, there's a new law in India called the Come Home Laws. David, 
we saw in the video earlier, read the Bible, David lives in India. And the come-home laws are crazy. The come-home laws say that if you were a Hindu who became a Christian, if you will unconvert, the government will give you food stamps for life. No joke. If you will go, they'll come to your house, knock on your door, they'll ask you, are you willing to come home? Come back to Hinduism. And if they say yes, they'll walk with you to the town idol. You'll bow to the idol. They'll put the third eye dot on your forehead to show your allegiance to the idol, to the idol, and you're back in Hinduism. You see videos, I, I, I watch videos on the news of people going there, bowing the knee, taking the dot, and coming, and the, the Hindus is like celebrating this person coming back to Hinduism. And imagine, you're poor. You're into your poor. And you're being told, you poor man, poor woman, if you come back to Ganesh, we'll give you rice and veggies every month. If I was poor, you came to my house and said, listen, I'll give you 10 grand to spit on, your, to spit on what you love. Some people are going to spit, aren't they? I, asked, I went to India two years ago. I went and met a pastor in this village, and I asked him how bad it was. He goes, Pastor, they've been hounding my, my members. And I asked, how many people in the church have, have bowed the knee and left Christianity? How many of your people have you lost to this government program of rice and veggies? And that village pastor just told me very clearly, not a single one. That little village church with no money. And people who needed that rice wouldn't bow. Rather be with Jesus and be without than be without Christ and have food. Now listen. We have not felt that in the States. We haven't. America, there's still more Christians than any other religious, religious identity in America. We may face cultural unpopularity. We have, we have not yet faced the sword or imprisonment for our faith. We haven't. And I, I like the American dream. I like life and I like liberty and I like pursuing happiness. I like going to the movies. I like having money in my bank account. I like sparklers on the 4th of July. I'm a normal person. I like good days and not bad days. Right? I love bonuses versus pay cuts. I'm a normal person like all of you. But here's the thing. I always hear Christians crying persecution. We're crying wolf all the time. I heard a guy on the news a few years ago, he's like, guy at Walmart, happy holidays, the war on Christmas. I'm like, shut up. It's not a war on Christmas. Walmart is not the church. It's not their job to proclaim Christ. It's our job to proclaim Christ. We always play the victim. We're not the victim. But let's say something does come. Up in Canada, man, my wife and I watched this pastor of a small church. Small church! Our size! It's a small little church. 
not a big megachurch on TV doing stuff. Uh, just a normal, small, hundred-person congregation. But this, this one community in Canada was like, churches can't meet anymore. COVID, brah. And this pastor like, we have to gather. So they gathered, they distanced out. But the uh, government was very mad that he didn't obey the law. There's a video of him walking out of church with his five little kids. He's like a Mennonite Amish dude. Big old Amish beard. Five kids. I mean, we do that's Amish. Or Catholic, I don't know. Um, he walks out and they arrest him. I watched that. And it was hard to watch. I'm like, I mean, would I, would we be willing to lose so much to do what we've got to call us to do? My point is this. I don't want it to happen, but America could use a persecution. We are, we're loudmouth and we're camouflaged. If persecution came to our shores and to our churches, we have to finally ask the question, do I really believe all this? And do, is my allegiance really with Christ? Now, I don't want it. I don't want hard times to come. I don't. I pray for my family's safety. I pray for, our, I pray for politicians. I like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But this is not promised to us. The good times can stop. And if persecution ever did come to America, in that moment, it is not our job to fight the persecutor. It's not our job to grab a gun and shoot somebody. It's our job to honor Christ and win our neighbors, and love our neighbors to Jesus. That is our place in society. We are where the heart, where the heart beat, where the love, where the truth, we're not the fist. Persecution is part of following Christ. If you have never faced persecution, Ask the question, am I camouflaged? So if no one knows who you belong to, you're doing something wrong. It's Independence Day. As you leave this place, go make a burger, go make a hot dog, eat a cupcake that's red, white, and blue. Enjoy America's birthday. But remember, this is not promised to us. Be thankful for the good. If the bad comes, know that God still has a plan and he is still at work bringing people to himself. That's about it. With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven,
thank you for our freedoms, for our safety. But Lord, even with these blessings, we know that following you is going to cost us something. We are going to be treated unjustly and unfairly. We may even be targeted because of our faith. Help us to suffer well. Help us to be courageous and unafraid. Help us to be faithful in the moment of trial. We love you very much, Jesus. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.